Good morning, everybody. And that was really good. Thanks, Micah. And everybody. My name is Jenny. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmanuel, and it's really good to be worshiping with you this morning. If you are a, a tiny human, you may go to your classroom if you're registered. Um, if you're not registered, parents walk out there with them and, and register them. If you are a medium-sized human, uh, that means a youth, then you can also go out now. John Michael will meet you out in the atrium for, for a fun uh, donut-y youth time. Don't you all wish you could go? Um, so before we start, I wanted to give you an update this morning on um, our lead pastor, Matthew. Um, many of you know, if you've been here for any amount of time, he uh, has been dealing with a medical situation with uh, one of the members of his immediate family for the last several months. And um, we told our members a couple weeks ago at our members meeting that there would be seasons, likely in the bigger season, you know, that, um, that he's more or less visible and present. And we're moving into a season where he's going to be less, less visible and present. Uh, they're going into a kind of transitional season. And so it felt like the right thing to do to say, go be with your family. Don't worry about uh, what's going on here. Um, so he's going to just take a season away, although he's not going to be totally away. He's going to um, be here with staff doing some of the things that we have planned. And he's also going to teach the two foundations classes that he had planned to teach. Um, thanks be to God, mostly for me, but also for those of you who are in the class. It's going to be really good. He's very good gifted teacher. Uh, so, so that's what the next season is going to look like. The good news is, is if you were here last fall when he went on leave and we kind of weren't sure when, when that leave would be over, we do this time. We just wanted to give like a, a small season away. He'll be back on uh, Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection with us to preach, which will be uh, so good. So I'm really excited for that for him. And if you would just pray for him and his family as he's uh, taking some time away and, and, you know, resting up together. And, uh, and I just want to say thank you for, um, for your generosity um, as, as a church. It's, uh, we, you know, if, we, if the church can't be generous as a workplace, then, like, who can be? Um, what hope does any of the rest of the world have? Uh, so thank you. If you have any questions about this, if you'd like to talk to someone about it, the members of our senior leadership team will be up here at the end of the service. We'll also have a couple members of our vestry um, who will be here. And so you can talk to any one of us. We'll be glad to, to chat with you. All right, so we're going to talk about uh, this uh, psalm. So we haven't read it yet, so if, we, if you will stand, we're going to read it together. And it's one of the best. It's really good, um, and it's, it's one of great confidence. And so you maybe didn't walk in the room this morning with great confidence, but we are going to speak as though we have very great confidence this morning. So that's how I want us all to read this psalm together. So I'll read the first part, and then you'll respond in the bold part. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom then shall I be afraid? When evildoers came upon me to eat up my flesh, it was they, my foes and my adversaries, who stumbled and fell. Though an army should encamp against me, yet my heart shall not be afraid. And though war should rise up against me, yet will I put my trust in him. One thing I have asked of the Lord, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the fair beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he shall keep me safe in his shelter. He shall hide me in the secrecy of his dwelling and set me high upon a rock. Even now he lifts up my head above my enemies round about me. Therefore, I will offer in his dwelling an oblation with sounds of great gladness. 
I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hearken to my voice, O Lord, when I call. Have mercy on me and answer me. You speak in my heart and say, seek my face. Your face, O Lord, will I seek. Hide not your face from me, nor turn away your servant in displeasure. You have been my helper, cast me not away. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will sustain me. Show me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Deliver me not into the hand of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen up against me, and also those who speak malice. What if I had not believed that I should see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? O tarry and await the Lord's pleasure. Be strong and he shall comfort your heart. Wait patiently for the Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this is the second week of the season of Lent, and we're doing this series in the Psalms, which is uh, the prayer book of the Bible, the prayer book of the church. What we're calling this season, um, or this sermon series in this season, is Prayer in the Night, which, to be fully transparent, we stole um, from a really good book by the same name. Uh, it's out in our bookstore if you're interested. It just felt like the, the very best way to say what we're trying to say in this season, um, that learning how to pray in dark times, hard times, is a, real, is a real skill, a real act of faithfulness and presence and takes a lot of thought and uh, coming together as the church. Um, so prayer in the night was just the very best way we, we thought we could say that, and somebody else said it first um, and better than us. So um, go read the book. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more today, but... Um, Lent is a season for prayer. It's a dark season. It's a time in which we learn how to pray in dark and hard seasons. Those feelings you get when you're fasting and maybe you're hungry or you're like, I just want a bowl of ice cream or I just want a glass of wine or whatever that thing is, that like little thing that in encourages you to pray in those hard and strange and uncomfortable moments, that's practice for the rest of your life. When you're in seasons where things are hard or uncomfortable or you really want something that maybe you shouldn't have. Um, and we're trained then to turn our attention to Jesus in those hard times. Uh, the song that we sang this morning is like our song for the season. Lord, teach me to pray, not just words, not what to say, but my heart and where it should lay. Oh, Lord, teach me to pray. That is, that is what we want this season. That's what we want to talk about over the next several weeks. With that in mind, let's talk about our psalm for today. Psalm 27, which is powerful, isn't it? Um, I, I kind of wish like an, a much older and stronger person than I had got, come up before you and read it this morning. <laughs> That's the feeling I have. It's like I want, I want someone maybe more substantial than me to, to read it. Um, but it's such a good psalm. It is um, such a powerful psalm. It is, it is the psalm of someone who has like done business with God, you know, who has followed God and not wavered, who has um, set roots in who Jesus is. Uh, who has come to dark places, and this is the prayer that comes out of them. You know, this is like the thing that comes out of them when they're squeezed in hard seasons. And I remember reading the Psalms a lot as a young person. I was not uh, raised in a Christian family, and so the Bible was 
practically a different language to me, you know, growing up, as it is for a lot of us, I think. Um, but the Psalms, I could always, like, I could always understand the Psalms. I could always, like, read a Psalm and be like, yeah, that's a nice prayer. Um, so I remember this one in particular as a kid reading it and thinking, like, I want to be this person. Like, this is the kind of person I want to be when I grow up. And I still feel that way when I read this Psalm. Uh, which is, it's so good, I'll, I'll read the first part again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though a war rise up against me, yet will I be confident. It's a good prayer. It's a prayer of a real person who spent a lot of time praying. So how do we become this kind of person? Um, this person is not just confident in who the Lord is, I think. I think it's important to note another part of this psalm, which is important for so many, is that this is a, a psalm of confidence, but um, you know, academically, this is a psalm of help which a lot of psalms are, are, of asking God for help. Um, and this one, we see that as well. So we have this beginning with like this utter confidence, and then it does, at the same time, move into words of asking for help, of admitting that this person is in a season in which they feel this, um, this weight, this tension of, of waiting for something, of waiting for the Lord to act, act, of begging the Lord to act in this moment. Um, it says at the very end of the psalm in the NRSV, I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So there's confidence, and then there's also this sense of, of being um, a waiting person, a person who can wait on the Lord. So how do we become this kind of person? That is, that is the question I've sat with maybe for years, but especially this week as I've thought about this psalm. How do, I, how do I become this person? What if this was the kind of prayer that welled up in me when it was time to pray, you know? And we've been talking a lot around here about this Jackie Pullinger quote. Uh, she was a missionary in Hong Kong, and after years of working with the poorest of the poor and giving her life to Jesus, uh, she said, she made this observation, God wants us to have soft hearts, and hard feet. And the trouble with so many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. And the idea of this is that we become cynical and hardened when we come into hard things, and then our um, feet get really soft, and we're not really fit for the journey anymore. And I feel that. You know, I feel that in my own life often, and I feel that in, in meetings uh, with people that I take, you know, as a part of this church. So how do we then become the kinds of people who have soft hearts and hard feet. And I think there's a lot of things to say about those two things, and I think this sermon series in general speaks to those two things, but the things that I want to say today are that to have soft hearts, we must learn to trust God, which may sound obvious, um, but I think it's worth saying and worth talking about and asking the question, how do we trust God more? And then secondly, how do we get strong feet? I think we need to wait well and learn how to do that well. So first is learning to trust. So I've said it before from this very place, and I'll likely say it again um, because it's true. Very often for us in our world today, uh, the first thing we question when bad things happen to us is God. And I don't think that was true for a lot of, of the history of the world. God was the, the unshakable thing, the truest thing about your life, and everything else was, was variables, changeable. 
Um, but for us, we've come into it like an age of, of questioning, and I think that's really good for a lot of reasons. Um, but for us, a lot of times, even the strongest among us, I know because I take meetings with you all, um, is that when we come into hard places, God is the very first thing that gets put on the table. Is God good? Can we trust God? Or even is God real? Which are important questions to ask. And I know um, Matthew already preached this sermon on theodicy, this idea that um, how do we make sense of God's goodness in a world of suffering? If God cannot be trusted to keep bad things from happening to us, can he be trusted at all? Um, he preached that last week. If you didn't listen to it, go listen to it. It's a wonderful sermon. But I think it's important to visit that a little bit longer, especially in this, this psalm, to ask how do we become this kind of person? Once we've like admitted that we are under the shadow of the Almighty, like hidden under God's wingspan and like brought in close, how do we then begin to, to trust him and trust what that looks like? So I want to tell you a story from that book, Prayer in the Night, that I've been talking about. Um, so in the book, the whole premise of the book is that Tish Warren um, went through a, a really hard season of like multiple tragedies in her life. She's an Anglican priest, and um, she admits in the book that she went through a season where she, she basically didn't know how to pray anymore. And so it's her story of praying Compline, the evening prayer service in the Book of Common Prayer, and kind of learning how to pray again. So she's talking through these, these, this prayer. Um, she learned how to pray in the midst of that season. So in the beginning of the book, she tells a story of some friends of hers who have an infant son, and he's about to undergo major surgery. And before the nurses, as they came in to like wheel their son back to go take him into surgery, the friends looked at each other, the boy's parents, and they, uh, the, the mother said to the father, she said, we have to decide right now if God is good. Because if we don't, then depending on what happens in there, God will always be on trial for us. And Tish Harrison Warren, Harrison Warren goes on to say this, if the question of whether God is real or not, or of whether God is kind or indifferent or a jerk, is determined solely by the balance of joy and sorrow in our own lives or in the world, we'll never be able to say anything about who God is or what God is like. The evidence is frankly inconclusive. If the story of my short life and feelings determine God's character, then he is Jekyll and Hyde. This way of approaching God becomes a never-ending game of poker. For every breathtaking splash of a whale's breach, I raise you a forest fire obliterating acre after acre. For every monarch migration, I raise you ticks spreading Lyme disease. For every mother enraptured by her child's first smile, there is a mother whose newborn struggles for his final breath. For every inspiring act of human goodness, there is another person scheming against the weak. In all our lives, from the happiest to the most tragic, the circumstantial evidence for God's goodness is divided. And so the invitation is then, is to ask if there is something truer than all of these circumstances. Is there something bigger and better and more true than the circumstances of our lives, the happiest and the most tragic? And making that decision and then moving on in your life from there. It's the whole reason that we read the Apostles' Creed every week. Um, we recite it at the end of our service, is because what we want to do as a people, especially as we begin to come forward to the table, is say, this is what's most true about my life and about the whole world. And so I'm going to declare that before I come and commune with Jesus. I want to say what is the most true. I want a list of what are the most true things in the world. Warren says, it is unavoidably, 
even irritatingly, a decision based on doctrine. The first principles we return to again and again, the story we live our lives by. So we look to what's true. We memorize things like the Apostles' Creed to know what is true in ourselves for it to kind of well up in us when we need it to be there. But we also look to Jesus. He was the man of sorrows. We see the way that God chose to enter into our suffering rather than take it away. And isn't that just such a great mystery? And we are invited in that to lean into that mystery. Because here's the thing. It'll be so much easier to wait well part two of this sermon, if we have already decided that God is good and that he is with us and he's trustworthy. It is, I want to hear you to hear me say, a, an okay and perfectly biblical thing to do, to ask questions, to question God. It happens over and over again. Sometimes it is the point of a season for you, a dark season. So deconstruct if you need to. But at some point, we have to make the decision that maybe that is for this season, but the next hard thing that happens, it's going to be different for me. I'm going to be steady, and I'm going to believe these things so that then God can be with you in that season, and God can then speak to you in that season and reveal things to you that you couldn't have heard otherwise. I think it's really helpful to hear examples of this in someone's own life, you know, especially when we're talking about God speaking to us. So I'll give you an example, a um, hard example. I, um, I had a miscarriage last fall, and um, you know when that happens, you're laid up in bed for, for multiple days, and um, it's really easy to feel bad for yourself and to go into a dark place, um, rightfully so. And, um, and so I remember you know, laying in bed and like at some point finally turned the TV off and thought I should probably pray, and the first thought that entered my mind was, this question of theodicy, you know? It's like, it was like a reflex in me. Are you good if this can happen? And mystically, in a way that I cannot explain and I'm very grateful for, it was like the Holy Spirit, like wind, like came through the room and like swept that question out of my mind. And the thing that I heard God say, and I only hear God speak like in this sort of kind of aud more audible way, like very occasionally in my life. Um, but the thing that I heard God say was, you already know the answer to that question. Would you move on to the next one so that I can be with you in your grief? So that I can actually help you discern what this season is about. So that I can do something good in you and grow some fruit in you. And you know, I said, yeah, I do know the answer. And yeah, let's move on. Like, let's, let's be in this season together. And the most wonderful thing was that immediately after that, the, nec the very next sense that I had from God was, um, which I, this is not something my own brain would, would come up with. Um, it's even hard to say, but is the sense I got from Jesus um, of the gift that it is for me and my job, the thing that I do for my life, to sit with other people who have had the same pain and say, I know to be able to be the presence of God to them in that, in that knowing, in that experiencing, in that being with them in their grief, and even not in that specific situation, although that does happen a lot, but in any situation of grief, I am now more acquainted with grief. And I think the Bible would say that makes us more like Jesus when we're more acquainted with grief. And so what a gift. And I could have spent that time angry and questioning. And like I said, those are not bad things. But can we be the kinds of people? Can you get to a season of darkness 
where you are able to say, I trust you, what are you saying? What are you doing in me? What are you growing in me? What do you want me to do? It's a soft heart. And it's a soft heart towards God and what God would want to say to you and do in you, but it's also a soft heart towards others. Because now I can either have this sort of hardness to me, you know, this hardness of not really believing that there's good for me in this situation in my life and feeling hardened towards other people who are pregnant, which is every one of you in this room. (laughs) Or my heart can be soft and I can celebrate with you and see the goodness of God in you and your life and celebrate, you know. That's the invitation. That's, That's the gift of a soft heart for us. So secondly, how do we learn to have hard feet? Um, And I think the answer is we learn to wait, like the psalmist. So I um, don't care anything about Greek, don't like it. Love Hebrew. I think it's the very best. And, And it has like such wonderful words. They're so rich and meaningful. So this word wait in Hebrew that's said over and over again in this psalm, but also in the psalms in general, is it comes from, the the root of it comes from a word that's like means to twist or to stretch. And don't we all know that is what seasons of waiting really feel like. We are stretched and we are twisted um, and we are uncomfortable and we don't like it. So that's to say like this was a long time ago, you know, the psalms were written a very long time ago. So that was true even then. Um, But what's even more true for you and for me is that we are now living in a world in which we are formed, we are rewarded when we do not wait. Technology has created a world in which we actually don't have to wait very often. We don't have to be bored even very often or uncomfortable. Our phones, you know, it's like an episode of Black Mirror I said the last service where like you go into the doctor's office and everyone's doing this. For the whole time, you know, it's like, wasn't that long ago that I would read a magazine at the doctor's office. And now it's like we're all checking our email or, you know, playing Wordle or whatever the thing is that we're doing. Uh, We don't know how to wait anymore. We don't know how to be bored and uncomfortable. We're not mentally tough. We're over-resourced. We're overstimulated. Our brains just don't have to work as hard as they used to. We have instant access. We have same-day shipping. I don't even mean to order same-day shipping. I, I don't even know when the like two-day thing ended. I'll click on something and then it'll show up the next day, you know? Uh, we can Google things instantly. We all know that feeling of like, I'm going to die if I don't find out what that actor's name is. Um, that like, you know, I want to know everything right now. We have DoorDash. We have Twitter where we get 30 opinions in two minutes. On Instagram, we get instant likes from lots of people. Affirmation that we were created to have and receive, but instead now we're getting it instantly and all from people that we're not actually in relationship with. We're being formed constantly to not be good at waiting. So no wonder when we want something from God and it doesn't happen or it doesn't happen instantly, we lose our faith. We don't trust God anymore. We're hardwiring ourselves to be disturbed, to be distrusting of waiting and boredom and feeling uncomfortable. So of course when we get in seasons where God hasn't answered our prayers, we think something's wrong here. God doesn't work instantly. There are moments where God does. But overall, and I think Jesus himself would say, per the seed parables, is that the kingdom of God is like seeds growing under the earth in dark and quiet places until all of a sudden one day you start to see the green thing come out. You start to see the fruit of something. Most often that is how God works. 
I can't remember if Eugene Peterson is the originator of this phrase or if he stole it from someone else, but he says that um, our life with God as a Christian is a long obedience in the same direction. That's the invitation. So if you want to be close to God, be in a relationship with God, if you want to trust God and hear from God, you must learn how to wait. We have to. There is no other option. And, you know, I, like, was thinking about writing this sermon this week and standing up here in front of you all and saying, like, we're not good at waiting. And, like, my first thought was, are, is the world going to be okay? Like, if we're all on our phones constantly, it does feel like a sort of apocalyptic thing. But the second thing I thought was, like, how embarrassing. Like, I feel embarrassed to stand up here in front of you and say, I, too, am on my phone at the doctor. Um, I don't like to be bored. And I don't have to be. I like to rush places. And I think about this image from the book, The Great Divorce, written by C.S. Lewis. I think it's my favorite one of all time. And it's this story, this fictional story about how um, these not-so-heavenly people uh, come to this heavenly place. And there are heavenly people there as well. And in this heavenly place, there is, um, everything is heavy. Everything is substantial. It's like built with stuff that lasts, stuff that's like really good. And these not-so-heavenly people are kind of ghost-like. They have no substance to them. So they can't do things like pick up a leaf off a rock, you know? Or um, when they walk on the grass, it feels like glass under their feet. They can't actually bend the blades of grass because they're just um, partial, basically. And then these heavenly creatures come along and, like, say hello to them and have conversations. And they're living in this world as though it's the most natural thing in the world. They are as substantial as the world that they are living in. So they can pick anything up off the ground like you or I could. And when they walk on the grass, it actually bends the blades. And this is what I think about when I think about waiting and our inability to wait and the way we're being formed so that we don't have to wait anymore. If I don't have that like substantialness in my own life where I'm able to sit somewhere and, and not be entertained, am I the kind of person who is going to bend the blades of grass? Will I have like the kind of character that endures through hard times if I don't want to be bored? I do want to be that. I want to be substantial. I want to like live into the heavenly places as substantially as the things around me. It's no wonder our world has such a hard time believing in God because our hearts can't handle the time it takes to see God work. Nowen calls it the spirituality of waiting, when we wait as a spiritual discipline or from a spiritual perspective. And he says that impatience, he talk, talks a lot about patience and impatience as a virtue, that we've all lost it. But um, he says that impatient people don't realize that God is actually working in their midst, that God is right here in the midst of the waiting. God's not somewhere else. He's right here. And that patient people are actually very brave. He says patient people dare to stay where they are. So I want to give you a couple of really practical ways of learning to wait. Uh, in John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he has a chapter on what he calls slowing, uh, ways that we can integrate slowness into our own life so that we can, in the same ways that in, in small ways we're being formed to not be the kinds of people who can wait well, you can begin to integrate things into your life so that you do then become that person again. Um, and I only took a couple, and the, the, the chapter's really great, so you should, you should get it and you should read it. Um, but here are a couple of these, these simple things. A lot of them have to do with driving. Driving's formational, it turns out. I don't know why we let children do it. Um, 
Okay, so the first one, drive the speed limit. Don't go faster than you need to. Just drive the regular speed limit. Get into the slow lane, some of our worst nightmares. Come to a full stop at stop signs. My friend who read this book recently, she was like, I didn't realize I didn't stop until I read this. And now I realize I don't actually fully stop at stop signs. Don't text and drive. That should be a no-brainer. You're not that important. Sorry. Show up 10 minutes early to appointments without your phone. Get in the longest checkout aisle at the store. Ugh. <laughs> Turn your smartphone into a dumb phone. Take off things like email and social media. Walk slower. I told the last service this, but I, you know that thing that kids have where they run everywhere, like even from one bedroom to the next? I never lost that. And um, I just enjoy moving from one place to another, and I like to do it fast. And so this is a, an invitation for me, I think, to move more slowly. And cook more. Cooking is, uh, it takes a long time, and it's really good for us to stay in the process, in the waiting of cooking. So waiting is essential in the life of the person in relationship to God. I think it's how one of the ways that we get hard feet, you know, that can withstand the journey, the kinds of hard feet that like stand on the blades of grass and bend it in a substantial place. So some of us today have a decision to make um, one way or the other. Is God trustworthy? Is he all these things that we say he is? Is the Apostles' Creed true? And another decision of like, am I going to be the kind of person who when I get into situations where I'm waiting on God to answer some kind of prayer, some terribly hard place, am I going to be the kind of person who withstands that, who has a sort of foundation underneath me to move through it well and to come out on the other side believing in who God is? And so I just want to say this to close. Um, in order to find God trustworthy, if that is something that feels hard for you in your life, you have to know Jesus. If you want to find God trustworthy, you have to know Jesus. If you are keeping Jesus at a distance because God feels hard for you right now, and so the, the best thing you can do is kind of like keep Jesus far away, what you are keeping away from yourself is the very goodness of God. So we have God, who is this great, sovereign, all-powerful being. And then we have us, tiny humans with tiny brains who don't understand anything that's going on in our life. And we are, cry out to God, and we don't understand things. And what Jesus did is he came in the middle of us, and he said, I'm going to reconcile the two of you. And this isn't because Jesus is better than God. This is because Jesus is God. Jesus is God reconciling himself to us. The Bible says that in Jesus, all God's promises are yes Amen. Jesus is the one who will fulfill all the trustworthiness of God, who has fulfilled it, who will continue to fulfill it. So don't keep him at a distance. Pray, seek him, read the gospels, meditate on his life, think about him, be with him. Don't waste another minute not being close to Jesus because in him you will find the trustworthiness of God. You will find what you need to have hard feet to make it through the journey, whatever you're going through. He is the answer for all of those things. He is the, the goodness of God. Amen? Amen. 
Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.